Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. It was that same yearning for freedom that nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. And uh, we are happy to uh, bring you this program, especially during this, these Easter days when Christians are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. You know, that's the foundation of our hope, not only in the Christian life, but in America. Our founders, so many of them rooted in the Christian gospel, recognizing that this experiment in self-governance could not survive without it, and uh, drawing on the hope that Jesus Christ brings amidst any and every diversity, uh, adversity. So we are, are happy to be praying about that, reflecting on that during these programs. Now, the rest of this week, I'm actually on the road, uh, so I'm not able to bring you my usual format of these programs from my studio. I'm traveling up in Michigan and then down to Atlanta, various speeches and rallies and, and, and uh, meetings that I have. So this week now, these next few days, I'm going to be bringing you some recorded interviews that I think will be informative and inspiring for you. And I want to thank our executive director, uh, Janet Morana, for her assistance in doing this. But uh, let's pray nevertheless. I want to invite you during the course of the program, as always, leave your prayer intentions for yourself, for your family, for our nation, for our leaders, for President Trump and his associates. And let's really continue all praying for one another as we pray for this great country in the light of the risen Christ. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for America. We thank you for the faith of our founders. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the death and resurrection of your Son that bring us redemption, that bring us hope, that bring us strength, that bring us eternal life. Protect our nation, Lord, both on the inside and also from the outside. Uh, protect our, our freedom, our values. Uh, may we continue to build this nation as a place where the fruits of the resurrection will be manifested each day and bear much fruit for the kingdom of God and the salvation of souls, the salvation of our families. Bless us, Lord, together as we work for that day when all our rights and all our freedoms are flourishing uh, without hindrance. And Lord God, stay your hand, uh, 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 put your hand against our enemies and keep your hand of protection upon our homes and our communities. For we know that the greatness of this nation is also in your heart as well as in ours. We pray all of this in the name of the one who was crucified and rose again, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So now I'm happy to bring you uh, this uh, interview, friends, and then we'll be back at the end to conclude our time of prayer. 
Hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. And this is part of our series on the Dobbs case that the Supreme Court is hearing regarding the Mississippi law protecting babies from 15 weeks of pregnancy. And the court has agreed to answer the question whether laws protecting babies prior to viability are unconstitutional. We are in this series looking at the different friend of the court briefs that have been submitted and examining their arguments so that we can all understand what's being said to the court on behalf of our unborn brothers and sisters. Today, I'm joined by John Eidsmo with Lutherans for Life and the Foundation of Moral Law. Both of these organizations have submitted this brief, which I have here and which we're going to uh, discuss, as they've submitted this brief to the Supreme Court. But let me tell you a little bit more about our guest. Uh, John retired from the U.S. Air Force with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, John, thank you for your service, first and foremost. Um, It was a chaplain uh, for the Mississippi State Guard and is a pastor in the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations, and is also a professor of constitutional law. Uh, So you have many credentials, and I respect you for all of them. Uh, Thank you so much for this brief, which I've enjoyed very much uh, reading and want to uh, discuss with, uh, with you and with our audience. So, John, welcome to the program. And thank you, Father Frank. It's a privilege to be with you. So, you know, let me let me frame our discussion this way. I have been saying to people all along in this uh, whole pro-life uh, movement that um, although people who follow the issue of abortion are generally familiar with the fact that it was Roe v. Wade and its companion case, Doe v. Bolton, that legalized abortion, Uh, Nevertheless, uh, there have been dozens of Supreme Court cases on abortion since then, in the almost 50 years uh, since those decisions came down. And when we look overall at the pattern, overall, the court, in fact, has been chipping away, eroding, if you will, uh, the strength of Roe versus Wade, uh, that original decision. We have been moving away from it. Uh, now, some people think in terms of, well, of course, you know, we have to overturn Roe v. Wade. And, you know, when is the day going to come that the Supreme Court is just going to kind of cancel it out? But but it seems to me what they've been doing instead is, is, is piece by piece, uh, simply, again, moving away uh, from the assertions uh, and the arguments of Roe v. Wade, if you can even call them arguments in the first place. They're so flimsy from a constitutional, historical, and scientific point of view that, uh, you know, it's not much really to, to even begin with. In this brief, um, you make that case. You, 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 you point out how the court has been moving away from Roe and use that as an argument to say, in this current case, the Supreme Court should continue on that path uh, and, in fact, abandon Roe altogether. Can you give us, uh, first of all, some of the um, the examples of how some of these post-Roe abortion cases of the court have, in fact, weakened Roe itself? I appreciate the opportunity to do so, Father Frank. And I might say at the beginning that the foundation for moral law, where I serve as senior counsel, 
and the Lutherans for Life, for which I serve as a board member, both completely agree with you that Roe versus Wade needs to be overturned in its entirety. But commonly, the court, rather than just suddenly out of the blue overturning a case, commonly what they do is they chip away at it for a while and then overturn it. And I suggest that's exactly what they're doing right now. They are chipping away. And this starts very shortly after Roe versus Wade itself with the Akron Reproductive Services case where the new justice at that time, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, said that Roe versus Wade is on a collision course with itself, meaning that the trimester approach was no longer viable or no longer workable if it ever had been. And then in the Thornbrew case, just a couple of years later, when Chief Justice Berger was ready to retire from the court, he made the observation at that time that he thought that Roe and Doe versus Bolton and other cases had been stretched beyond whatever they intended to be, and that it was time now to rethink Roe versus Wade. And the suggestion that he makes there, didn't exactly say this in so many words, was that if I had known that it was going to lead to the Holocaust of abortion that it has led to, I never would have joined the majority in Roe versus Wade at the beginning. Then we look to the Webster Reproductive Services case, where the court says that a finding by the Missouri State Legislature that life begins at conception is constitutional, even though they didn't really make their law consistent with that. But they said that because of that, certain things had to be done. Certain restrictions on abortion could be allowed, like a waiting period and a few things. And the court upheld this. Probably... A decade earlier with Roe versus Wade, at that time, the court would never have upheld the restrictions they held in Webster. But then more restrictions are allowed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And in this case, you have four of the nine justices wanting to overturn Roe versus Wade entirely. And you have several of the liberal justices who are very concerned that if the reasoning of these four and the majority stays in place, eventually Roe is going to be overturned. But the majority, that is the plurality, I should say, wasn't quite ready to overturn Roe yet. Rather, they did say, though, that there are more people affected by abortion than just the mother, and therefore other people should have a say in the abortion decision. And again, Planned Parenthood recognized exceptions to the Roe versus Wade principle that would not have been recognized earlier. And then shortly after 2000, we have the Gonzalez versus Carhartt case, in which the Supreme Court upholds a federal law that prohibits that gruesome practice of partial birth abortion. And again, this further chips away at Roe versus Wade. And I love what the dissenting opinion said when they said that the majority in the case, they were not even willing to refer to those who perform abortions by their proper titles, they are rather called abortion doctors in the majority opinion. Well, if that's what they thought, they really wouldn't like what I would have called them. And, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, and so then we had a case. This is the first case, the first state, North Dakota, that passed a law that said there could be no abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be detected. And that is normally around the age of eight weeks, although the heartbeat actually is probably taking place before that. In this case, we filed a brief, both Lutherans for Life and the Foundation, 
filed a brief in support of North Dakota's law and said that the whole viability test, the idea that the point at which a state can intervene and exert a state interest is when the child becomes viable, that is able to survive outside the womb, that is not a workable test. First of all, it is entirely subjective. It's a doctor's subjective opinion. Secondly, it depends on the individual child. Some are going to be healthier than others. And urge them to go back to the heartbeat test because that's rock solid. Either you hear a heartbeat or you don't. Well, the right. Eighth Circuit said we are bound by the Supreme Court's decision here that we have to use viability of the test. However, and this is a very unusual move, However, they said, we strongly urge the Supreme Court to revisit the viability test at its first opportunity. Now they have the opportunity, and we think that everything is in place now for the courts to either completely overturn Roe versus Wade, or at least chip away further and eliminate the viability test and go to the 15-week point that Mississippi has set in its statute. Exactly, exactly. Well, for those that are uh, just joining us, we're talking with John Eidsmo, who's a senior counsel for the Foundation for Moral Law and a board member for Lutherans for Life. And they uh, uh, together uh, have submitted this brief to the United States Supreme Court, talking about, as, as, uh, as John was just uh, explaining in more detail, how the court is indeed moving away from Roe v. Wade and has indeed weakened it over a uh, series of decisions over the last uh, 50 years. Uh, so, you know, John, we really are nowhere uh, near today where we were at, in 1973. The trimester framework uh, has been jettisoned by the court. They introduced this undue burden uh, standard, but really they they introduced it, but they didn't define it, did they? Uh, and so the courts have found it kind of hard to figure out, you know, what is this undue burden that they're talking about uh, that we that the states must not impose on, on women trying to get abortions? And, uh, and so it, 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 you look at all these decisions that have come afterwards, and along with the changes you uh, outlined, I mean, you see it's kind of like a, a conclusion in search of an explanation. They keep shifting the ground on which the court is supposed to deal with abortion. Um, and my understanding is, a number of legal experts have told me, uh, told me this, that there's never been a Supreme Court case that has been more consistently criticized than Roe v. Wade. You pointed out how that criticism even comes from within, within the court system, as the lower courts need to apply the precedent, the vertical precedent, as it's called. Uh, they need to apply it, but they don't need to think it's a good idea. Um, so we're, we're the, it seems like the ground has been prepared for uh, what could be now a pretty major shift away from, uh, from Roe v. Wade. I would agree with that. I just point out that originally the court seemed to be saying that abortion was what we call an upper tier right, meaning that it was accorded strict scrutiny, that is any regulation on abortion is accorded strict scrutiny, which means right. that the court will not uphold any restriction on it unless it can be justified by a compelling interest that cannot be achieved by any less restrictive means. With the undue burden test that comes out in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it seems that the court is now saying that it's a middle tier, meaning that we need to show a substantial relationship to an important governmental interest that sounds like a lot of legal gobbledygook, but what it really means is that 
it is not going to be as highly protected and right. regulations that might not have survived the strict scrutiny test might survive this middle scrutiny test. One more example of the court moving away from the strict protection of the right to abortion, or should I say the so-called right to abortion, which is found in the Constitution nowhere, and moving toward the eventual, I hope, overturning of Roe versus Wade entirely. Now, as you know, and as the brief points out, Roe v. Wade uh, drew a line at viability and said it is only after that point that a state, if it wanted to, it didn't have to, but if it wanted to, it could even prohibit abortion, but not for uh, not if the health of the mother determined it. And of course, the broad definition of health made it the exception that swallows the rule. But in any case, they did make viability a, a, a uh, an important drawing line, except that that was not an issue in either of the state laws that they were reviewing out of Texas or Georgia. It did not come up in the oral arguments. And the, as you know, the case was argued twice because of a change on the court uh, the, the viability was not brought up in those arguments. It seems that it was just thrown in at the last minute before the justices rendered the opinion. Um, in this brief, uh, and it's really refreshing to read because you go through a biblical and Christian history, uh, you make the argument that vi viability as a standard for whether or not you're going to protect that baby in the womb finds no basis. It finds no basis in scripture, in Christian history, in science. Uh, tell us a little bit about the arguments you bring forth in that regard. Well, from the scriptural standpoint, and I just point out that back in the 1980s, the Congress declared, I believe it was 87, to be the year of the Bible, and noted in its resolution declaring that, that Biblical concepts have influenced many of our principles of law contained in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, so it is entirely appropriate to cite the Bible as precedent for something in law. And I would point out just a couple of things in regard to what the Bible has to say about the beginning of life. There are many, many more. I could do a lot more than we put in the brief, but one point I would make is that we see when Elizabeth, who is carrying John the Baptist in her womb, comes into the presence of Mary, who is carrying Jesus in her womb. She says, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. Doesn't call John the Baptist in her womb the unborn child, the fetus, the fertilized egg, the embryo, but the babe in my womb. And not only that, but by leaping for joy, John the Baptist in the womb displays characteristics of personhood. Another that I think is important is when we look to Psalm 51, where David says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now that tells me that we have a sinful nature, not just before birth, but all the way back to conception. Yes. And if that is the case, I think it's pretty hard to conceive of somebody having a sin nature if they're not a person. So that brings personhood all the way back to conception. We know many of the church fathers, but Orthodox scholar, Father Alexander Webster writes that mm. abortion is one of only several moral issues on which not one dissenting opinion has ever been recognized by the court or by 
the public as a whole. I missed a page there by the church fathers. Anyway, so the point I'm making too, as we talk about this issue of viability, is that no, there's nothing in precedent for it. In fact, the whole idea of abortion as a being a constitutional right is not found in the Constitution anywhere. You find, for example, that when Justice Blackmun says there is a right to abortion, he refers to the word liberty in the 14th Amendment and says that the word liberty and other parts of the 14th Amendment and Bill of Rights have certain penumbras and emanations. Penumbra, that's a word most people wouldn't look up that means shadows or auras. But he seems to be saying that he and his fellow liberal justices have been issued certain colored glasses that enable him to look at the Constitution and see all these emanations flowing out of them, like abortion and other such things. I would only point out that when you start basing a jurisprudence on penumbras and emanations, you are engaging in nothing but subjectivism, and you have removed the Constitution from any kind of objective scholarship, and it can mean anything any judge wants it to mean. The Constitution then becomes, as Thomas Jefferson, Je Jefferson said, a ball of wax in the hands of justices like this to mold however they please. And when that's the case, nobody's rights are secure. Same exactly. Court that can read into the Constitution rights that are not there, can also read out of the Constitution rights that are there. This is why uh, abortion poisons our entire legal system, uh, along with, of course, the, the killing of the child, the wounding of the mom, uh, the wounding of the whole family and of our society. Well, John Eidsmo, thank you so much. Uh, this brief is, uh, is, a, is a beautiful argument, a beautiful statement. And uh, we want to encourage our, our viewers to read it. We have a link to this brief and to all the other uh, briefs that have been submitted on the side of uh, the state of Mississippi at SupremeCourtVictory.com, where people can find information about this case and uh, the arguments being made on behalf of the unborn. Uh, John, you're with uh, Lutherans for Life and the Foundation for Moral Law. How can people connect with these groups online? Best way to do it for the foundation would just be to go to morallaw.org and moral law with two L's. Anything close to that, it'll come up. And for Lutherans for Life, you just go to lutheransforlife.org. I think if you just do lfl.org, you'll probably come up with it as well. But okay. we you to Google each, either of us. We encourage you to contact us and ask to be on our mailing list. And I assure you that on this issue, like many others, we stand firmly with your position, Father Frank. And hopefully, we will be defending the right to life of every child born and unborn. Well, uh, you know, I serve besides uh, uh, directing Priests for Life, I, I happily serve as the president of the National Pro-Life Religious Council and Lutherans for Life uh, have been always a, a member of, of that council. I, uh, uh, in our board meetings, uh, have interacted with various leaders of the organization over the years. And I've always found the resources, uh, the biblical resources and the, all the pro-life resources so, so very uh, helpful. So I want to thank uh, 
uh, Lutherans for Life for that, and 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 you uh, 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 being on their board, uh, and and for all the work that you do. Thank you, John, again for your service to our country and uh, uh, your work uh, defending the Constitution. Uh, just it's been fantastic speaking with you, and I look forward to uh, future opportunities to do more of the same. Well, thank you, Father Frank, and as far as service to our country. I can't imagine a higher service to the country than protecting the rights of our most vulnerable population, the unborn. Well, again, my gratitude to all of my team at Priests for Life for uh, bringing these uh, helpful uh, interviews and this information that uh, I hope, friends, will, will help you to increase your own involvement in what we call the pro-life movement. You know, it's a cornerstone of what makes America great, the protection of life itself. And as President Trump has always said, every child is made in the sacred image of God, and we ha have the duty to protect them. That's the first purpose of government, is to protect human life itself. Without that, we cannot possess or enjoy any of our other, other rights. With this in mind, uh, I hope you've been leaving your prayer intentions during the program, and I want to sum all those up now as we pray for one another and for our country using the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Father Frank Pavone here. Connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone, as always. Connect with the Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. Please continue to spread the word about these programs. Be assured of our prayers, and we will talk to you soon. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.